Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, Freckled Foodie fam. Today's episode is with Sammy Sage, who is one of the founders and the chief creative officer over at Betches. She has actually been on the show before with Aileen. We did our like New Year's resolution episode. And today we are chatting all about her decision to freeze her eggs and embryos, what that process looks like, um, the retrieval, the results, what that has now led her to consider, the current process she is in, and then also her decision to no longer co-host the Betches podcast Diet Starts Tomorrow as her relationship with her body and diet culture has evolved. So honestly, we dive into a bunch. I was in some sort of mood today. My mind is just in 20,000 places and I'm freaking exhausted. So thankfully, um, Sammy and I are very good friends and I could just like sit back and chill and have a conversation with her and I didn't have to prep anything. But I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I feel it really is just a look inside of a conversation between two friends. Come on in, take a seat, pour a drink, pass one to me. Frickle foodie and friends, talking about life's odds and ends. Sammy, welcome back to Freckled Foodie and Friends. I'm so excited to have you, but also just so glad that it's you I'm interviewing today because I am just like in another world, tired, like manic. I just realized I hadn't taken Zoloft in two days. I like the first time I've ever forgotten to take it. And oh, I don't think, yeah, be bad. I don't think I could fathom like actually having to interview someone formally that like I don't know. You know what I mean? I just want to chat oh, I know. and catch up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you do not have to be on for me. I will definitely, you know, I <laughs> you will help carry you. the show. I, I'm I'm here for you. So um, this is Betches yeah. on Freckled Foodie. Sam, welcome, Sammy. <laughs> Thank you. I have been like thinking about this conversation because and excited for it because I feel like I'm just bursting with things to talk to you about specifically that I know that you will empathize with and be so on board with. And I just am ready to put it all out there. Amazing. So obviously there are two things I really want to focus on in this conversation. One specifically being the decision to freeze your eggs, which obviously is why we originally talked about you coming back on. I also, if we have time, would love to chat about just the decision you made, which we talked about personally to no longer co-host Diet Starts Tomorrow and like that move and what your future holds and just what's going on with you mentally. So first the egg freezing, can you, yeah, like let's dive right in. How old are you? I am 32, about to be 33 in April. Context for people. So let's start from the beginning. Like, why did you decide that you wanted to freeze your eggs? Okay. So I, for a number of reasons having to do with my family and my upbringing. And my husband's also younger than I am, but that's not really, I mean, that, that actually is a factor, but let's, let's take me. Okay. Let's take back to when I actually made this decision, which was like now a year ago or even more. Like I started really like our first consultation was over a year ago with the clinic was, was RMA. And at that time I was like, I cannot have kids. Like I am freaking out. Like, I don't know if I'd be a good mom. There's so much I want to do with work. I want to travel. Like 
Avi also super active and like still also early in his career. He's in his late twenties. So like, you know, he's, most guys are like, not even. Okay. Like I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that. I'm a, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's four years younger than me. So, but yeah, I mean, Sammy. he's very, he's very mature. Um, because he grew up well, partially not, not entirely, but he grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family. He is no longer at all religious. Um, but his entire family is, so it's not like, that crazy out of the realm to have to get married and have kids young. But so I think in that way, he's very mature. Also just he himself is very mature, but the, he did, he didn't, he felt like, oh, I have more to do, you know, especially with like his career. Like he really is just like starting out when I think about like the grand scheme of things. Um, so we were like, we don't want to do this right now. We don't want to. And, and the timeline that, that like 35, clock right. feels very like imminent, especially if you're like, not sure how many you want to have. Do you want one? Do you want two? You have to space them out. Like, obviously I didn't, I wasn't really like aware necessarily of my fertility or like my health in that area. So we, you know, we did the consult and we ultimately were like, let's, let's do this as like a safety net. Even if we have our first kid by conceiving on our own, we can, freeze this for like a second kid. And like, right. even the process will enlighten you to a lot of things. Like I had never had an ultrasound. I had never, um, tested my like AMH level. I had never, you know, I really had not explored this because I, I'm kind of like a, I, as long as I don't feel like there's any sort of problem, I'm just like, I don't want to know. Um, I feel so. Yeah. So I felt like, okay, I'd been on birth control for since the beginning of our relationship, which was like for 2017. Um, so I just basically like really didn't like know much about it, but I went and I did the process and I was like, I was really into it. And I had a good experience with the actual, like, the shot, like a good experience, like the best experience you could have, you know, possibly have with, you know, like doing the shots and going to the doctor. I have an amazing doctor, lucky Seacon at RMA, if anyone is looking for somebody. Um, and it was, it just felt like the right decision. Um, so yeah, so we, we did that sort of as like a, almost like a precautionary insurance almost type of thing, just to give ourselves like more choice. And through that, I started to become very, like, uh, I don't know how to put this, sort of passionate about the idea that women should be taking control earlier of their reproduction, whether mm-hmm. you're with a partner or not. I just think, like, the earlier one looks into this, the help, the better off you'll be. Agreed. Yeah. So I had a, I had like a good experience with like the shots were okay. Everything was, was nor quote unquote normal. My doctor and I were like literally joking that we were, that I was like a textbook case. Like my numbers were like so average, like the like percentage that you, you know, lose for potential embryos in each uh, step of the process was very average. And then um, we actually had a bet about how many embryos we would get. I said we would get six. She was like, I think we could get eight. And we ended up getting zero healthy embryos, um, which led to, which has now opened up an entire can of worms for my entire life that we can get Mm -hmm. into. Um, But that was like very eye-opening, shocking, and now sort of has led into my like next phase. I totally agree with what you're saying in the sense of like, we should be having these conversations earlier as females and like taking ownership and honestly just doing the research because I feel we're sold this story our entire like teen, early 20 years of like, don't get pregnant. Be so careful. Like use all the protection, which obviously you should be having protected sex for like a various list of reasons. However, it's not that easy to get pregnant. And obviously we're the most fertile during the times that most of us don't want to get pregnant. But I think that some of us, myself included, we live in this 
blissful ignorance of, well, I am, I've always been so nervous of getting pregnant that of course it's going to be easy. Like my whole high school and college, I was like doubled up with birth control and condoms and God forbid I ever got pregnant. And then when for me specifically, like I did the tests and my story is also just really confusing, which I think also leads into there's just so much more research and like evolution and growth that needs to be done in a medical field. And obviously we've Mm. come an incredibly far distance and that's amazing, but there's still a lot of unknowns and I know that you can't like predict and it's not a complete science. But for me, I did these tests before we ever even started trying because I was like, well, I've had this history of like weird shit. Like, let's just check my fertility. I technically didn't have a period for like six years because of my IUD. And then when I got it taken out. So for me, they tested my AMH and opposite to you, I was like technically infertile. They told me that I was in the infertile range. I was going to have to do, I spoke to a fertility specialist because my gynecologist who I love was like, I just want you to get a second opinion, spoke to a fertility specialist and automatically without even like actually seeing me in person, because this was during COVID, she was like, you're going to have to do IVF. You're technically infertile. Um, and I, I actually have a video on my phone of me, like after this call, hysterically crying, just being like, what the fuck? I haven't even tried yet. Like, how are we already going to IVF? And so then that was when I was like, well, Joe, guess we don't have to like be safe anymore <laughs> because who cares at this point I'm infertile. And then two weeks later I got pregnant. So it's also confusing. And Honestly, Joe said yesterday to me, do you think we should like look into getting like your stuff? I don't even know what the correct terminology is tested again, because like eventually when we want to have baby number two, what if that is a different process? And part of me is like, yeah, of course we should like that is the smart thing to do. But then the other part of me is like, well, if they tell me I'm infertile again, I don't want to like who knows? Yeah. They're only tests can kind of only provide so much insight. And so I'm curious now from your perspective, like now that you're on the other side of it, in the sense that you got the results, like what was your emotional reaction when you found out that there were zero eligible embryos? Because I have to imagine that was a hard phone call. And I, I'm sorry that that happened to you. That's not fair. But like, what did that feel like emotionally? I mean, I was like very shocked, especially because my expectations were not set to that. Um, And the thing, okay, the thing you said about the AMH level, I just want to say that my doctor, when we were first doing this, she was like, we're going to check a few things. We're going to check your egg count. We're going to check your AMH level. We'll do like your blood or whatever. I was also on birth control while this was happening, just as a note, um, which will become important later. Um, she was like, none of, no one of these, um, metrics is going to tell the whole story about your fertility. Right. Even the AMH level. She's like, that's a good sign, but it doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't say anything about your egg quality, which is ultimately, I believe partially what, what quote unquote wrong with the embryos. But to speak to my emotional state, I was very like upset and confused and Part of why I found the embryo freezing process so like stabilizing was because I felt that it gave us control over like our next few years. Like I really felt, okay, well, if I'm, if it seems like I'm fertile, I don't imagine there would be a problem with getting pregnant on our own. Like we can, you know, we can kind of set our timeline. And I had, I had a whole timeline in my head. Of course you did. Um, and then I was like really set on it for several like mo- like months at that point and um, about like when we would try, when we would hopefully have a baby. Um, and then I was like, shit, like that's not, you know, so that sort of just like to just totally like sh- totally just destroyed the whole timeline plan, like, and just not even just like, oh, plan about baby. Like when will we maybe move out of the city or into a different apartment? Or, you know, when will we plan certain trips? Like when will we see certain family members? Like he has a lot of family in Israel. Like, are we, should we go now? Or should should we go see them now? Or should we go wait until we have a baby? Like just a lot of different questions we'd had about our lives all of a sudden felt like, you know, and I'm, I'm basically giving like very privileged obviously consequences, but, but yeah. And I should, I should also say that the 
ability to freeze my embryos is a huge privilege. I'm fully aware of that. But part of what this whole process has inspired me to, I don't know, just think about and I don't know. It's really just sort of something that's kind of like developing in my head is like how this should be so much more accessible Mm -hmm. to everybody of all ages, all socioeconomic backgrounds. It is wild that I would not have, because basically that process now changed the next, like kind of changed the trajectory of, of my, I don't know about my life, but like my next year at least. Um, and I can get into all of the reasons why and we'll do that. But it was a huge shock. And I was like, is there something wrong? Like I had no reason to think there was something wrong. There was also the possibility that it was a total fluke. So I was like, okay, maybe it was just a fluke. Um, but for a solid, like three days, I was like, like, it was just that very down feeling. Um, fortunately we found this out the week between Christmas and new Year's, So it was a very light week anyway. And I was able to like process it, not, you know, with work going on in the background so much. And, but it was really like, oh my God, like, what if my, how is my life going to be because of this? Like, should we have, should we have two kids? And one, one thing that did, there were two things that I was like immediately worried about. One was like, did I do this because did I do this to myself? Because I smoke weed, like, a like, because I've been a long time smoker. That's where your brain went. That was my, it went two places. That was number one. My second place that the brain went is that, okay. So just for some background, my brother uh, is, was younger than me. He had autism. He passed away uh, at 24. Um, my mom, I'm very sorry. Thank you. Uh, it's, it, I, we can go into that another time, but so then I, my mom had a brother who also died of a Jewish genetic disease when he was, um, I think he was nine and she was 11 and I was a carrier for that. So my first question was like, so in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, like, is there always bound to be something that goes wrong? And I have this like for a while. And even like now and like, like it's scary to me to have kids because the idea of losing them is worse than not having them like, you know, to me. So it, so that I went back to that. I'm like, maybe you shouldn't have them. Like, if you don't have them, you can't lose them, you know? And it really like, I was like, is this, so it was like, is this my fault in any way? My doctor was immediately like, no, it's not your fault. And then the whole thing with like my brother and my mom's brother. And I was like, is there like, maybe there's just something wrong. And like, it is not, maybe it's risky for me to, to, get pregnant and have kids. And that was all sort of like swirling in my mind. Are Um, you still feeling that way? Because I, I totally understand. I mean, obviously I haven't lost or not obviously, but I have not lost anyone in my family at a young age. So I haven't experienced that, but the concept of losing now that I have Liam truly guts me and makes me want to, I I mean, I, I cannot imagine or fathom and my heart breaks for anyone who has experienced that, but I totally get the fear and the almost like safety of, well, if I don't have one, I can't lose them. And I totally can understand that mentality. But on the flip side, when you think about the odds, I guess is the right terminology or the chance of that happening being small, in my opinion, the positives I've experienced thus far and the love and the just untapping of this new relationship and human. Yes. Would I be gutted and destroyed if I lost him? Absolutely. But that wouldn't take away from the time I had with him. And this just got morbid fast, but do you know what I mean? (laughs) No, I totally, I totally, I totally get it. And I mean, my mom, I believe would say the same thing. She's hurt. You know, she has said the same thing and she, didn't have it easy with him. Like, like, because he was diagnosed with autism before kind of as it was becoming very pop, pop, popular, common, it was becoming very common. And, but it was, the treatments were very, um, not advanced, um, expensive. Like this was a huge financial burden for my parents and massively affected the way I perceived money and 
all this stuff. And if we didn't have my grandparents, like, I don't even fucking know. Like, it would be a totally different life because we lived with them. They helped with everything. Like, they were my basically my parents um, because of that. So I was really afraid that there was something there, like, that was just not meant to be, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do want to have kids. We do intend to have them. Um, but there is this sort of temptation of like, well, you know, if I had kids, I'd always be worried and I could just not worry. You know, I could just, you know, spend all my money on me and, and like do whatever the fuck I want and not worry. But then I think about like, I want to have a family. Like I, even if we do just have like one kid and several dogs, like the idea of having a, like a family in that way. Um, where you, you know, you're teaching a child and like, you're watching them develop. Like, I don't want to miss that experience of life. And like, I don't know it. And then I think about like all the, so I think that, and then there's another part you hear my brain doing it right now. I'm like, but what if, like, what if I have to go through all this pain and what if it is, it doesn't work or I never am able to experience what you are describing and it just only becomes like only a painful thing. So I think that what if is, I mean, I think that what if is with every decision in life, there's always the what if. And from my personal history of my anxiety going in the what if spirals, that's my like main trigger. It's always the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. I go down these spirals. And then one thing my therapist said to me is like, think about all of the spirals you've ever gone down. What percent of those have ever actually happened? And the percentage is basically zero. And then she's like, think about all the bad things that have happened to you. Cause obviously there have been things that have been difficult in my life as in everyone's life. And I'm like, okay. She's like, did you ever in a million years think that that would have happened? And I'm like, no, because it was so random one off. Like, you know, obviously disasters happen, awful things happen. It's not to say that we live in this world, that those things, sad things don't happen, but the ability for me to turn to statistics as like a safety net for my anxiety to think like the things that I usually am thinking of the awful what ifs aren't what actually happens. Yes, there are bad things that happen, but I'm never actually thinking of those things. So (laughs) in a weird way, it provided me like comfort in a sense, but I think the what ifs are always going to be there. Look, is parenting really difficult? Yeah, it's fucking hard. Are there times where I mean, I think many people are hesitant to say this and I love Liam more than the world. I've never in my entire life. Yeah, I can feel like your I love feel. for him like through your, <laughs> through the phone. Like I can feel it in a way that I, I don't want to say like, I don't see other, but like, I can feel it a lot. I'll like, I mean, that. I could cry just yeah. thinking of him, but at yeah. the same time, are there times where I'm like, should I have done this? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. There are times where I'm like, whoa, what have I done? And we were just talking about my trip to Florida. Like I was depressed for a few days, hysterically crying because I was like, what is my life now? Like what has happened? And it's confusing to come to terms with, but that doesn't mean in my experience that does not outweigh the positives. And it's this weird balance of like, this shit is so fucking hard. It's so emotional. It's so draining. It's exhausting. It's never ending. Yes, it's constant worrying. And yes, like you're always thinking about someone else, which is really hard for someone who's like, honestly kind of been like selfish for the majority of their life. But I feel that. <laughs> but at the same time, it's the most wonderful experience that like, I don't know. I, I just can't compare it to anything else. But obviously- I don't want to well, go. Well, wait, I do. I do want to just add something about the anxiety and the intrusive thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I was, you know, I'm in therapy for so long and it's amazing and whatever, but I was resistant to going on medication for a long time. Cause I felt like I can handle it. Um, yeah. Like it's a, it's a, I don't even want to project the things because they're not real. And I don't even want to put them out there, but I eventually went on medication And it was because of intrusive thoughts and not, okay. I know what you're saying about like your, like you, most of the things you spiral that haven't happened, but my biggest spiral of my life did happen. It was Mm -hmm. that I was prior to getting married. 
I was like frequently spiraling about our wedding getting canceled due to like a natural disaster, something pre COVID, not like, not like a pre COVID. Yes. We were supposed to get married April 19th, 2020. So our, we, we were the first people to cancel a wedding, but I was like freaking out the whole year. Like, I didn't think we would break off the engagement, but I thought something would happen that like my dream wedding would not get to happen. And it was like, I thought, I literally thought it'd be everything except a pandemic. I was like a cyber attack, a hurricane. (laughs) Oh, I'm still to this day. (laughs) Yeah. Like a hurricane, something bad would happen. Like someone would get hurt, like whatever. And then that did happen. And because of COVID and it's like, you know, I had the, I had the satisfaction of the biggest, I told you so ever to my therapist, but also like that experience was, I hate to be like, it was good in a way because it really like showed me that like, I can, I'm okay. Like I'm okay. You can handle it. Yeah. And in some ways our wedding ended up being better than what we could have expected. The COVID wedding actually eliminated certain issues, caused new ones, but you know, it eliminated central issues between like the families Mm -hmm. and that have to do with like religious stuff, whatever the details are not really important, but it really like actually created sort of the perfect situation for us. And between that and being on medication and a number of other things, like it has really helped with intrusive thoughts. So, yeah. Yeah. I also think I am not a believer in like everything happens for a reason. Cause like, I just think that's like so rude to say to someone when they're going through something. And I love Heather McMahon and she's always like, when she talks about her dad dying, she's like, if someone says everything happens for a reason, I will smack them in the motherfucking face. But I do believe. Can I be honest? I I do believe that, but I don't think the reason has to be like a good reason. Like it can be a shitty reason. Like that's. Yes. But I believe the way I kind of spin it is that I believe everything can lead like everything that happens can lead to a new experience that may be better than what was happening before. So for me, like I look at the accident, that was like probably the biggest life-changing event other than like having Liam over the, in the past five years. And, you know, concussions were always a fear of mine. I had had five. I was at my limit in college. If I had one more, I was like told that I wasn't going to be able to play sports anymore. So like that was already a fear of mine. I was already very protective of like my body and injuries and all this stuff. Did I ever imagine I get hit by a car? Absolutely fucking not. Did it suck? Yes. It completely changed my life, but I'm weirdly grateful for it because it changed my life in ways I could have never imagined. It led me down new roads. It led me down new paths. It it's really a before and after moment for me. And so I even think about that where I'm like, okay, say the next put, put fertility in the mix. The next time we potentially try to have a child, if something happens, you know, maybe that is just our path. Maybe we're just supposed to go a different route, whether it be IVF or, um, why can't I think of the word surrogacy or adoption? Like maybe that's just what's supposed to happen. Like what's supposed to happen. And that end result is where we're meant to be. And does that mean that journey to get there is going to be easy? Fuck. No, there could be like those roadblocks would be really difficult mentally and emotionally, but at the end, maybe that's what was meant to happen. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I secondary fertility, uh, issue, like secondary fertility struggles are a thing. Like I I've actually become very newly aware of that. I sort of assumed like, Oh, you can do it once. Like, right. Why not again? But I think there's all these hormonal changes. I I mean, I'm not going to get into the the medicine of it all, but I now feel like, okay, every woman (laughs) needs to be like, and again, this is a, a privilege and our healthcare system is not properly set up to catch these sort of things, but it is a massive, there's so much lacking in female feminine healthcare that it is just infuriating and wild to me. And I wonder if this experience was, I mean, I don't, again, this is like, I'm, if it were whether this experience, Oh, uh, don't even get me started on that fucking thing. I woke up like excited to talk to you about that particular point and we should get there. Um, but 
I wonder like maybe this was supposed to happen to me again in the most like woo woo way possible so that I could have a greater empathy and understanding of this. And maybe it's your new focus. Like maybe at some point it becomes a focus for your career. Yeah. I mean, I've now been thinking about like female health and for, and the polit, like the political side of it is so female health, wellness, like the whole political side of health and wellness. And like, is just all very fascinating and problematic, um, in general, but this, I, this actually illustrates kind of the next point in my story, um, which is that from that, that, um, that failed quote unquote embryo, that failed embryo cycle or whatever, whatever we're calling it. I think retrieval. the terms are all, yes, <laughs> retrieval. Um, so I, all of every, the important thing to understand is that every part of the story kind of happened by accident. Like it was a whim to decide to freeze our embryos. Like it was a whim and a privilege. Like it was completely, if I didn't like, if I were trying to be like more frugal, even I'm like not a particularly frugal person, but if I were trying to be more frugal, this, the, what I'm about to tell you would never have been discovered until who the fuck knows when. Um, so if I hadn't agreed to again, do another, I was going to do another, another retrieval. Like I was supposed to start it last week. Um, I'd gone off birth control also on a whim. Like I, after I stayed, I basically stayed off. You go off for the first retrieval and I stayed off. I was like, my sex drive is totally returned. And I was, I had like struggled with a low libido. My doctor like added a med for it. And I never really understood like why, like where to go, you know? Um, and then going off the pill, I, it was like a different world. My moods were better. Um, and so I was like, I'm staying off of this and like, we'll just use an app to track so I was like, but you know what, if I get pregnant, like whatever, the chances aren't that high, you know, mm-hmm. we're, and we'll just, we'll just try to do sort of like the opposite of what people do when they're trying to get pregnant, which is like, don't have sex on the fertile days. I mean, that's what we do. We've done it for three yeah. years now. Yeah, it works. And I had to convince Avi that this was like legitimate, but he, <laughs> he went along with it. So, okay. We're going to do the, we were going to do another cycle and we had planned to do it when I got back from our ski vacation. We just went, we just went skiing and he, and so I was expecting to get my, you, basically you have to like align the beginning of the cycle with your period in a certain way. And you have to start, if you're not able to start the cycle, you'd start taking birth control. So I'm heavily paying attention to when my period is coming because it was supposed to come like the third day of the trip. It doesn't come the whole trip. So I'm like, oh, fuck, am I pregnant? I'm like skiing around France to get a pregnancy test. Literally. Um, you can listen to, if anyone wants to hear that story, it's on diet starts tomorrow back for seconds is wild. Um, it was just such a hassle, whatever. I find out I'm not pregnant, but my doctor's like, come in like for blood work tomorrow, like the first day you get back. And I did, um, two hours after the blood work, she's like, I am fairly certain you have PCOS. Um, you should come back again for a full blood, like a more robust blood panel. And we'll do another ultrasound to see what your, what everything looks like when you're off birth control and see, cause birth control masks PCOS, um, which I think is one of the, it is a treatment for it. I think a lot of doctors put teenagers on it because they're like, Oh, you're not getting your period. Just go on birth control rather than, uh, explore the What's underlying happening problems potentially. <laughs> right. Like what else and, uh, what implications that might have for that person's future. Um, so I go back to do, do all of that. She looks at the ultrasound and she's like, yeah, your ovaries look like pretty classic PCOS. Like you don't have a severe case, but you know, that's probably why you, um, aren't ovulating yet. And so then all of a sudden it was like seeing going from black and white to seeing in color. Um, is how I would describe it. And what is sort of infuriating is that if I hadn't agreed to do another embryos, another egg retrieval cycle for so much fucking money, I didn't end up paying it, but I had agreed to like, that's why this happened. Um, and if I hadn't had a doctor that I was like in really close communication with, like, I got so fucking lucky. Her name was lucky too. Like I got so lucky with her, like, and if I hadn't been so fucking on top of this, I would have never 
realized. And this could have gone on until I was like actually trying to have a baby and couldn't like, and really couldn't. And it would have been a mystery. So reading about the diagnosis and all of the, all of the elements of it, I should know one of my best friends has a very severe case of PCOS. So it's not like it was off my radar. Like I was fully aware of it. Um, I didn't, I, w- I had questioned, Oh, I wonder if I have this. I decided no, because my, yeah, symptoms I did not thought present. so too. Yeah. My I was symptoms wondering did if I not. had it. Do, do you, or as far as I know, I don't, yeah. I mean, honestly, I yeah. don't even know. We never I really mean, tested for it. No, but I did a, no, I think they did because Oh, you know what? It was because I hadn't gotten my period in like a year. And it was so weird. The day I went to get the ultrasound to see my ovaries, I bled. Like it was so uh-huh. weird. Did you I still go up. to the ultrasound? Yeah, because I showed up and I, on my way to the ultrasound, I bled. I got there. I went to the bathroom and I was like, what the fuck? And then I went into the office and I was like, um, I know we're going to do an ultrasound, but I actually have my period. She's like, well, we'll still do it. And it was fine. So I guess okay, I don't, that's good. but they did test me for that because I too was wondering if I had it. Do you have other symptoms that like now make sense? Yes, but they're not the symptoms that I had like assumed mean PCOS. So a lot of, a lot of the obvious symptoms are like, you'll grow like facial hair facial or hair. like hair loss or weight specifically around your middle. Um, you know, and I think kind of one of the reasons that I didn't ever suspect I had it is because I, I didn't have those symptoms that would make you be like, I need to change this. Like my hair was falling out. I'd be like, Holy shit, what's wrong with me. Right. And I find it fascinating that it really, I only would have treated it or really sought out like finding out what's wrong with me if I had things that ham- hindered me from like achieving the beauty standard, yeah. like, because I didn't have like male facial hair growing, I was like, I can't have PCOS. Um, so that is one thing I do just want to, I do just want to kind of call out because I think that is why a lot of people discover it. They're like, why is this happening to me? Like this very undesirable, you know, thing that is hard, hurting my attractiveness, you know? Okay. So, so I start reading about, about the symptoms and I, I discover that like everything that's ever like really been a struggle for me physically, mentally is potentially a symptom. So depression, anxiety, eating disorders, all are like correlated with PCOS partially because it's a hormonal and metabolic thing. My doctor was like, this has probably been affecting your quality of life for a long time. And you didn't realize, and it's possible that even the reason you started dieting was because you had PCOS that was causing weight gain. Um, and so that's why it very frequently occurs with eating disorders because it both makes you gain weight and makes it, it, it makes you gain weight, makes it hard to lose weight and obvious. And then you know, obviously that starts a whole cycle with women restricting and, you know, just that we don't even, you know what that is. Right. Um, and, and it, so that I think, so people are, one of the ways to manage PCOS is by managing your weight, but it makes it impossible. It makes it very hard to manage your weight because of the, the PCOS. So that was one thing. Then there was like other, like I do gain weight very easily. Um, one thing was like sleep apnea. I've been, I've snored my entire life, like my whole life. And so badly, like, and my, like, it's a joke among my friends. I just like always fucking snore. And I'm like, okay, well that makes sense that that would be a symptom that I just never even like thought about. And then the biggest thing is irregular periods. I have like most of my, a lot of my life I've had an irregular period. I have been able to have a regular period before, but now I'm start. I started thinking. I'm like, I just assumed that my period was like going away because of my, because I would sometimes starve myself and sometimes binge, and it never occurred to me that the period was irregular on its own. And right. And so now I'm like, okay, well, I kind of feel like I know what my weight, my like a healthy weight range for me is because I know sort of when my period was regular. 
So that was very enlightening. That's helpful information. I also, it's like, helpful information. Is, yeah. When I found out I had mercury poisoning, it was kind of like this same thing where I was like, well, fuck now everything makes sense. Yeah. Like in a weird way, obviously I cried when like I found out because I was like, what in the hell? Like another thing wrong with me. But I'm also like, well, now I know why. I was dealing with all of these weird things, like why I had SIBO three times, why I got shingles at 23, like why all of these things started to piece together. And the clarity I find is almost, obviously it's daunting and overwhelming to have a diagnosis and it can be scary, but it also can provide this like roadmap for, okay, well now I know what to do and how to move forward and how to hopefully get on the other side of this. So like, I don't know PCOS in depth. So I'm curious, but isn't like I, from what I've seen, actually there's this account on TikTok that I'll send you, but a lot of it (laughs) is food focused, correct? So, I mean, I then started like reading a lot. I went on like PCOS boards. Like I started a lot of people and my best friend who I'm, who I was referencing earlier, she manages it by like not eating gluten and dairy. And I'm like, I don't think that I really, again, I don't have a severe case. Like I, I clearly mm-hmm. don't like based on my symptoms, but I do, you know, have it based on the hormonal levels and the presentation of my ovaries. Right. Um, but And also my doctor is still trying to rule out an adrenal problem, but she's like, it is like probably not that. So I think a lot of people do control it through diet. Um, I don't know if I need to control it through diet because I've never been gluten-free or dairy-free and I have had a regular period. So I'm not like trying to reactivate my disordered eating. That was the other thing I was going to say. It's it's a very fine line. Oh, completely a fine line. And again, my, I asked my doctor, she's like, I won't prescribe weight loss because I don't think it's fair to prescribe weight loss to people whose dis like disorder makes them unable to lose weight. Like that does, that's, I think why it's a vicious cycle. so frequently with eating disorders, because people just think they're fat. Like, you know, they just think like I am overweight, you know, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with my hormones, but it actually really might. Um, so that was, like you said, like very, it provides a roadmap. I felt if you want to compare the emotions to finding that we had no embryos to the emotions of finding out, like hearing about the PCOS, the PCOS both had that, like three days of shock that followed it. But the PCOS was like, a better, more positive feeling because there's actually hope. like, I know what to do. Yeah. Like, Again, oh, it's can't. not the like unclear what if spiral. It's like, oh, it is this, which yeah. I'm, like after the embryo retrieval, it's what the fuck, why did this happen? And obviously right. I've never experienced this. So I'm projecting, but what I don't understand, there are no answers. Like there's no clarity right. for me. That would be an anxiety spiral. But when there's the diagnosis, it's like, okay, now I know what this is. I have an answer. And now I will figure out how to use the research out there to help me get on the other side of this. So exactly. And I will just say, one thing I will say is that part, part of why I think this is so disappointing is that it is PCOS is pretty prevalent among certain like ethnicities, one of whom, one of which is Ashkenazi Jews, which I am like, I haven't done ancestry and whatever, but I am 100% Ashkenazi Jew. And you would just think that like, at some point, some doctor would be like, you are in high risk group and you have like several of the potential symptoms. And I just thought like, oh, I am a girl with depression and anxiety who struggles with her weight and disordered eating. Isn't this everyone? Right. I was like, oh, like, yeah. And I snore and my periods are weird, but I'm like, I just probably did that to myself. Cause I don't fucking eat properly. Like, and it was a lot of like self-blame and now I'm like, no, no self-blame. We don't need to do that. Like who even knows if I actually need to be on depression, on medication for depression and anxiety. Maybe I just need to manage this. Like, I'm not sure. I don't want to, I'm not getting off them or whatever, but yeah. So my doctor's going to prescribe me a medication that would help regulate my hormones, like help with metabolism. And I've now started. I didn't comment on this earlier, but I do think that it kind of plays into this. Now what we were talking about of 
the shock when the expectation is so different than the actual reality. And that was my first thought as well. When they told me that I was going to have to do IVF, cause it's like, well, wait, but I wanted to get pregnant like in a few months that takes a while. And I was just having this conversation with my friend who's struggling with fertility is that you create this plan in your mind. And I think it's natural because a, like a lot of us are planners, but B, like there, you do have to think about these things. You can't, having a child on a whim is difficult and you have to budget. We were like doing our budget. budget. I'm like, I'm like your life. Like, right. You talk about living in New York city. Well, how long is that going to be? If you're on a lease, like that shit matters, especially with work. Like, are you switching jobs? What's your career? Like, so obviously there's plenty that goes into this. And I think one of the hardest things with fertility struggles is when your expectations do not match your reality because that then shifts everything. And on the flip side, when we found out we were going to have to do IVF, okay, then I'm like, well, when are we ever going to get pregnant, blah, blah, blah. Then I got pregnant on a surprise. So then I experienced the other side where I was like, wait a damn minute. Like, I'm not ready to be pregnant. What the fuck? Like, this was not the plan either. Right. You're like, I specifically want to be pregnant in 93 days. Right. I'm like, what, what is this? The plan was to get pregnant in fall, not now, like late fall. Now I can't go to this wedding and now I can't do this like a hundred percent. So I just think sometimes, especially I'm not trying to like stereotype, but as females, we need to get a little bit out of that, like plan. Everything is happening at this exact time, especially when it comes mindset, especially when it comes to fertility, because you can't like, you really can't. And I caught myself the other day. I was looking at dates because Joe's sister just had her baby and his brother and his wife are due next week. Like as we're recording this and I was thinking about when their delivery date is going to be. And I was like, oh, that's a great birthday. And I'm big with like even (laughs) numbers and like four specifically. And I'm like, oh my God, Joe, how sick would it be to have the birthday of April 4th, 2024? Like four, four, 2024. That's amazing. I'm like, well, we could do that for our next baby. He's like, you've lost your damn mind. Like you're so far. My due date was actually April 4th. I'll just tell you that. I was born six days later though. Yeah. Like that birthday to me is everything. So I now, I want to transition just a tad of like, with this diagnosis, what is the plan moving forward? Like what steps are you taking? So I am, my doctor says she's going to be putting me on a medication. I am, you know, I'm starting acupuncture. I it's actually interesting. Cause I, I went to the acupuncturist and there's like a very, she was, she was amazing and like, very, like just empathetic, understanding everything. But then she was like, I'm just going to send you like the, you know, the standard fertility recommendations and the recommendations are like so specific. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, I can't, I can't with the like heavily, I don't want to say restrictive because it's not, because it's not like, oh, you can't do this. It's all like, we recommend warm foods rather than cold foods, warm drinks, orange foods, stay away from processed stuff. I'm like, yeah, obviously like all of, I know all of it. It all makes sense. It does. I think it like leads to, and honestly, this is where my disordered eating came from was trying to heal myself because right you're there's good. I always say this to my mom. I'm like, there was good intention, but the impact ended up getting fucked. Like the intention was, I want to feel better. I don't want to constantly be bloated and in pain. I want to be able to like, enjoy my meal and not have all of these digestive issues. However, when you start down that path, like there are restrictions because certain things do affect you differently. And then it becomes this mental mind game of, well, do I want this and potentially like reap the negative result or do I want to not have it and reap the benefit? And then it's like food becomes a mind game, which is, as we know, leads to disordered thoughts and disordered relationship with food. Totally. I think that if I had gotten this diagnosis like two years ago, I'd be like, oh my God, yes. Like now I have a real reason not to, not to like eat these things, whatever. Um, but now I'm like, okay, I'm taking this in. I understand like the impact. I also feel like I've worked a lot on just getting, I, I perfectionism is like 
incredibly toxic, you, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I will not approach this that way. I know that I've had a regular period without all of these intense adjustments, like being so black and white. So I'm just going to like take it minute by minute, meal by meal, snack by snack. And right. just like, and like, just try to see like what choices are calling me? Are there new habits I can get into like that are pleasant? Um, I mean, a lot of the recommendations are really great. It's like, do yoga, you know, meditate. And I'm like, yeah, I, I probably should. Um, and another thing is that I am just as another intervention or two more, one is that I scheduled a, a, a appointment with a sleep doctor. I just want to like see their take on the snoring and the sleep apnea and what they think. Um, that's number one. And then I am right after this, actually, I'm having my first meeting with my intuitive eating dietitian to like, tell her, Oh, I have this diagnosis. How do I sort of like work this in to, um, you know what I'm doing. And one, one piece that I think is actually, so I, I definitely think that the PCOS activated because I gained a lot of weight and I gained a lot of weight because I did intuitive eating not properly. Um, it was what I had to, I guess, do at the time, but now I feel like I have a, and regardless of the weight I've gained, I actually do feel like I have a good relationship with food. I'm not, I don't, it doesn't feel exciting to me anymore. Um, in that it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel, it doesn't control you anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. And in terms of my body, like I'm okay. Like, like obviously this isn't like the most ideal size for clearly my health and, um, you know, my fitness level and, you know, obviously the American ideal, but I like my, you know, I'm okay. Like I like myself and you're allowed to love yourself. Yeah. Like like, it it doesn't matter the standard, right? I feel happy in my life and you know what? Like I'm not going to let my size ruin what could be amazing, happy days that I have with my, you know, that I'm good. You know, I don't need to like, I don't want to obsess over what I look like anymore. And I just don't, I don't want to say I don't care, but I really do believe it's not that interesting. Like there's so much more in. Yeah. It almost sounds like your mental priority has shifted a bit where it's like, yeah, maybe this mattered to me a long time ago, but now I'm way happier. So why, like, I feel that way when it comes to food right now, like people, I was just saying this the other day, people are like, well, are you ever going to like post recipes again? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that doesn't excite me anymore because food is now just food. Like, right. Right. And it is. If I'm happy now and it's not like holding weight over me and controlling me, like, why would I go back? Why? why? Like to fit right. something that like someone else wants to me to like fit in a box. Right. Uh, right. Like I'm going to lose weight so that like random people on the internet don't call me fat. Like they would call me fat even when I was like a good weight. It's always going to say that. Unquote, help. Like, like, I don't care about this random person on the internet, you know, like, like, okay, you're the one who's sad. Like you're the one who's calling people Seriously. fat on the internet. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you, but if that's what you're doing, I, that's in you. Like it's a you problem. Yeah. So, but I, but I do feel that if I hadn't sort of like reached a level of acceptance or just neutrality, which I think is the goal. I don't know if I would be able to take in all of these changes and recommendations. And like, even though they're light recommendations, I don't know if I'd be able to take them in, in a non-perfectionistic or like non-panicked way, like feeling like if I do this, like it's so so bad. Like, I mean, I don't think you would not true. Yeah. I don't think like, I would be. And now I'm like, we're going to just manage it. We're going to manage it for my health. It's not about my body. It's not about like my meat, like what I'm eating at any particular time. It's, it's for the sake of my long-term health. Like I don't want to have like PCOS leads to other complications that I really don't want to have. If I can prevent them, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, in some cases, I don't think I have that particular that I don't think I'm at high risk for cancer, but whatever that's getting in the details even like miscarrying. Like I don't, I hopefully don't want, if I can even get pregnant, I don't want to miscarry. So, you know, if, if that can be avoided, so I'm going to like 
take the recommendation, take the recommendations the best I can. And like, we'll work through it. And this isn't going to be like a one month process. It's clearly like a six month minimum thing, maybe a year. And like, I'm just going to take the year or the six months or whatever, whatever it takes. I'm just going to like, we're just going to work through it. It's and a that's, project. that's it. Yeah, exactly. So where you are now, which is incredible, the growth that you've experienced over the past two plus two-ish years when it comes to diet culture and your relationship with food and your body is inspiring. And I'm wondering, I would love to just quickly touch on the decision to no longer co-host Diet Certs tomorrow because obviously, I mean, you run a, I tell you all the time, like, I can't fucking believe that you just like co-founded Betches. That's insane to me. It's this massive (laughs) media company. And I'm like, how are we friends? But because it doesn't, I'm no different. I know, but still, but diet starts tomorrow was a huge part of your personal brand within Betches. And, you know, you have a very, very large cult following of the podcast. Like the day that you guys posted about me, I swear was still like the most growth I've ever experienced in a day. It was wild. Like, wow, these people are engaged, but you decided to no longer co-host the show. And I would love if you could share with the community. I know we've spoken about it, but like what went into that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think we, I co I co-hosted the show for almost four years. I think four will be in April would have been in April. And look, it's not like a, it's not just any podcast. And I think you, you understand that, you know, you talk about very personal things, very specific personal issues. And I think that I had sort of just like migrated mentally a little bit away from maybe like what the audience wanted and the things that I wanted to talk about or felt more passionate about were not, you know, really the same as, as the things that, you know, was sort of like the bread and butter of the Diet Start Tomorrow podcast. And like, thankfully, like Aileen is an amazing host. And I, I had full, you know, I would never have walked away if I didn't have full confidence that she could, you know, carry that and would be an amazing solo host. So, I mean, that was, that made the decision like technically, like logistically. Okay. But I just felt like it was not necessarily serving me. And then I imagine in turn the audience to sort of be focusing on topics that I didn't feel like a a natural pull towards anymore. And that I just think, you know, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, we, we, we move, we move, you kind grow, of like you evolve. Forward. We, we change, we evolve. And it's not like, you know, I host a number of podcasts. I do, I you know, I handle how much yeah, you I'm do. very, you know, I'm very publicly facing and I just, you know, I think there's like a, a, a place and a time for me to share things from like my personal life. And I don't know if it was like necessarily, you know, serving me honestly, or, and again, and in turn the audience, um, not that obviously, like, obviously I care about these conversations very much, but I think just for, you know, that doesn't mean I had to continue to be the host of the podcast. And I just, honestly, I thought it would be just a, the right decision. And it was a hard decision because, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. I obviously care about, care about it. And I care about Eileen and I care about, you know, the listeners and everything. And it was a hard decision to say like, you know, I'm going to, I think that I'm going to bow out. I think this is what's best for me. And since then I've really become just confident in that, that that was the right decision. Um, I think it like changed the way my headspace is balanced because when you're recording, you know, and you're thinking about that frequently, it is a different, you know, it keeps you in a different place. And I think that I wasn't necessarily in that place anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, we still go on like that. I still go on back for seconds, which are, which is our subscription where Elena and I talk about just, you know, anything personal. And obviously it's not like diet culture or diets or wellness or not at all part of my life, but, you know, I think hosting a podcast, as you know, huge commitment and huge um, commitment. Yeah. 
and, and so much I, time goes into like the back end of it, where like if you're constantly speaking on these topics, you're constantly researching the guests, you're constantly researching their opinions on it, and then you're having these conversations, and these conversations linger. And like I will say, there's obviously been evolution and growth within Diet Starts Tomorrow when you look at it from the beginning, because I remember listening to an episode. I mean, with everyone's yeah. favorite Tanya very early on. And I walked away being like, fuck, do I have to do that? Like it sticks with you when you're hearing yeah. about all these things. And I think like you, we can relate it to what I said earlier about the recipes and how I'm just not as interested anymore, because if you're not interested, like why focus on these things that you're not pulled to emotionally or mentally and obviously work is work and it's not all going to be stuff that we love, but we do work in a field where like, you're supposed to be following what you love. And I think it resonates with the audience and the community more when it's a topic you actually care about. And I think it it's serving both you and probably the DST listeners, a better service and product. And I, I mean, I said this to you, but I'm just so proud of you for taking the step back to be like, you know what, this isn't serving me and making that change. Cause it's not easy to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm really part, I'm, I'm a bit impulsive in, in general, but I do think that that can be a good thing because I'm not afraid to like make a change if I feel like it's really needed and I can just decide, you know, like this, like I see this is what's best. And it's, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get through the fact that it's, it's like very uncomfortable to, to deal with, of course, like the transition itself. But yeah. Um, I also think like, you know, there's a, there's a, a bit of a dichotomy now between diet culture and, you know, over between, sorry, between like dieting and being anti-diet culture. And I think that while a lot of people sort of like exist in the, in the gray area, it is hard. It is a very triggering space. Um, and there's a lot of like landmines there about, you know, everyone sort of has their own specific struggle and it's very personal. And I kind of felt like I just didn't like, I wanted to just take myself out of it. Um, yeah. as like a professional face and just to speak to something we were talking about like way earlier, again, I like do a lot of things and I have a, a lot of passions and I really want to pursue more of being like, you know, a culture, pop culture, and like news commentator. I think that was really like much more my headspace, even within the wellness, the world of wellness. I've always been much more interested in like the systemic um, elements of it. And especially now that I'm seeing like the implications for fertility and just the, in the inequity in healthcare is is that really, I, I don't know, like I feel a strong pull towards it. So like, I don't want to say, oh, I'll never talk about wellness again, but I do think that if anything, it was really helpful in informing those, my opinions on those like systemic elements, which I feel very passionate about and wellness is political. Um, Completely. And I think I, I think that that's a space that I really, that I feel passionate about occupying more. And that's really not what diet starts tomorrow is. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly, you know, where, what opportunities or, you know, things, what will come of this, but I really feel like I've become very passionate about, I, again, I don't have a way to do this at this point, but helping women of all, of all groups, get better, more preventative healthcare. And I, look, I don't really have the words for it right now, but whatever's happening in the system is, is not, <laughs> is really hurting a lot of, a lot of people, especially women, especially mm -hmm. women of color. And it's just to watch it happen and to be in it as it's sort of happening to me, but from a, a, a position that I know is very privileged, it's hard to watch because it just to extrapolate like what it is for other people. If this is what it is for me. It's exactly how I feel about postpartum, especially like postpartum depression and coming from a place of privilege where, you know, I 
work for myself. I work from home. I was able to take some time off. I have a stable relationship with a partner who is involved. I have family to support me. I have the financial ability to make decisions, like all of those things, yet still postpartum has been so difficult. And still I struggle with postpartum depression and still I am like, what the fuck is happening? Like, and still you got told you were infertile and then you got pregnant like the next day. How is that that possible? Yeah from such a privileged place, like that does immediately send my mind to what are other women experienced experiencing who don't have these privileges. And I agree, like it's changed my course of work and what I'm interested in and what I want to do because it's what I'm drawn to. Totally. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I don't, again, I don't, this is all very much like percolating in my head. I don't know what it will ultimately become, but it is something that has like shocked and motivated me. <laughs> I am. I just can't wait to see what happens because I think you're going to do great things. Um, but we will be, we will be together along the way. So yes. <laughs> yeah. I love you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show for everyone listening who wants more of you. Where is the best place to follow? Follow me on Instagram at Sammy. Um, I'm on TikTok at Sammy Sage says I've been off for like two months, but I'm trying to get back on because hopping back on. Yeah, yeah I'm hopping back on. Um, you can listen to me on the morning announcements every single morning. I break down the news in five minutes or less. How the fuck do you do that? I I don't really know, but I I like it. And so I really it's my favorite thing that I do. Um Basically, I just break down the news with like funny commentary. It's pretty uh liberal it's awesome. So yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's 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 quick. You get all the headlines plus jokes and commentary. You can find it on Apple or Spotify. And yeah, that is that those are the places. Everything will be linked in the show notes. Sammy, thank you so much for joining. You're awesome. Thanks, Cam. All right, fam. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I love Sammy so much. That was just so wonderful to catch up and have you guys along for the ride. I'm going to keep this nice and short since I know that was a longer interview, but I want to recognize that this month is Black History Month and I want to make sure that I highlight some episodes on this podcast that focus specifically on the conversation of race. So make sure you check out in the show notes. I will link all of them. We have some great ones that are definitely worth a listen if you haven't heard them already or a re-listen. Also, the typical Friday fashion finds are not going to only include fashion this month. They're going to focus on an array of products, but we will be featuring all black creators, whether it be authors or artists or fashion designers or CEOs of skincare brands. Um, So make sure you are checking out the Friday Fashion Finds every Friday on my Instagram and also in the Friday Fashion Five highlight. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week and February. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously follow at Pod on Instagram and me at Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam and I hope you have a wonderful day.